Hello everybody, welcome to the second episode of the Icarus of the Earth. Thank you so much for listening. Today we're talking about biomimicry, about soft robotics, and we're also going to talk a little bit about fishes. And then now comes in the chat. So we're sitting here in a very small, well, let's say decent sized office at the University of Delft. And as always, my name is Joris and we always have your boy Jean as hello, well. Hello, I'm, I'm there as well in Delft. Yes. Really nice place. But we have a guest too. He started with video editing. Then you got uh, interested in product development. And after that, uh, he won actually the Bridgestone uh, World Solar Championship by designing the most practical car. Yeah, the most practical solar car, right? Yep. Yeah. And after that, he changed his directions and got interested in uh, soft robotics. And you designed uh, fish. And that's the reason why we are here. By the way, you're looking for a job, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I just so graduated. So you yeah. just graduated. Uh, welcome, Sander. Sander van der Berg. Sander or Sander? Sander. What are we yes. going to do? It uh, doesn't matter if you pronounce it kind of Englishy, then it's gonna be Sander. Sander. And that's also how I always uh, introduce yourself. Try to explain what my name in English because everyone always looks like, "What's your name?" Like I'm like sending machine, like <laughs> Sander. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's a good first impression, <laughs> yeah. I guess. I'm a sending machine. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't make anything better out of it. Like that, that's it. If you if you're gonna pronounce it in English, All right? We'll go for a mixture of Sander and Sander then. Right? Yeah. Cool. Um, everyone that's listening, thank you so much for listening. First of all, and secondly, thanks for the feedback. We got a lot of feedback for the first episode, and we're using that to improve ourselves and to make this podcast more soothing for you. Especially the most important thing, we got some professional microphone setup type of things going on so we can get that smooth, buttery, voicey sound into your ears. You can even whisper in the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and then I think it's just time to start again, right? Yeah. Brunch, brunch of the month. Brunch, brunch of the month. We're kind of like... Um discussing whether the punch punch of the month is a good name for this oh, yeah. this type so we're asking you to uh drop a name or just say like punch punch of the month is awesome because it's half dutch it's half english and it's strange and that's good yeah. but uh first explain what punch punch of the month is yeah punch punch of the month um we explained it last episode as well but just for anyone that's new um real quick um me Joris, jean and our guest sander have all come up with a punch punch of the month. And a punch punch of the month is just something we find interesting and that might have been new or in the news lately or whatever. Just something that sparked our interest. And then we throw it in a group and we see how it can relate to, for example, industrial design. So that's that's the thing. Um, Jean, what have you come yeah, up with this you, time? You said that it was something uh, new, but I've got something old-fashioned. Actually, it is used nowadays a lot. Um, have you ever heard of the Hoberman sphere? No, you. No, it's it's like a toy. It's like a, a sphere, like a round thing, and uh, the sphere is like uh, from a transformable design. So when you pull it, 
then the sphere will become three times or ten times as big as it was. And Hoberman is actually a, a guy that uh, studied at Harvard, and he's doing a lot of things with uh, transformable design. And the cool thing about it is, is that uh, I was looking at your uh, LinkedIn page mm. when we were stalking, <laughs> <laughs> and I saw something, uh, like, it's called the Morphing Wings, and it's what I really liked. I've seen this as well. I, <laughs> you have seen it as <laughs> that's well. That's why we saw it. <laughs> yeah, that's why we saw did, it. Did I like it on LinkedIn? Yeah. yeah. Is that the reason? Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you like it? I'm actually pretty pretty curious. Yeah, what, what, what do did you, you like, like about, about it? it? Right. Uh, what did I like about it? So instead of that, you like now have uh, like the backside of a wing of a plane that moves separately. Yeah, upwards or downwards, yeah. and the you get the kind flaps, of right? yeah the yeah. flaps. You, you get a sharp edge, and that's not ideal. And this one uh, does that all internally, and you get a really smooth surface curve. It's majestic. It's, <laughs> it it, it, it <laughs> looks really cool. But I wanted to add to that that um, those um, transformable designs. Now this these are is something else. But uh, the one like the Hoberman sphere. Uh, those structures, it's like a bit more mechanical engineering, but you can do it like a lot, a lot with industrial design and strange forms and strange movements. Uh, but you can use it for a lot of cool things. For example, like the, uh, they, they call it pop-up shelters. And those are like shelters that, that like, like explode. They're really um, like folded in each other like small and then they can like push it out and then they become like really big. And that's what I found really cool. I will, we will just add it in the, in the notes. Oh, yeah, of course. We added it in the notes. Uh, but just to be clear, I thought when you described it like a sphere that you can transform, I, w I was thinking of like Play-Doh kind of stuff, but it's no, a frame, no. right? It's like a frame. It's yeah. a frame, and when you pull on it, it becomes a, yeah, a, a bigger, larger sphere. Is that sphere. toy? Yeah, it's a yeah, toy. It's like it's one of those toys. Yeah. 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 I think I've seen Did you see it on YouTube? You saw it on YouTube, didn't Probably. you? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I think I saw it there as well. Yeah. It's like the... This MIT Harvard teacher is earning money by making toys. Some kind of something like yeah, that. Yeah, something right? like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I liked it. Um, I think you're next, yours. Oh yeah. Okay. So um, I actually got a tip because I didn't prepare my punch punch of the month on time. We are very professional here. I'm very sorry about that. Thankfully, though, we have an audio guy, Jens, the master of this whole production, and he gave me a tip. He saw something um, called the blood lamp. And it's actually, it's funny that you started about spheres because the blood lamp is a, is a sphere as well. So imagine a sphere, which is probably some kind of matte white. And um, it's, it's supposed to be a lamp, but it doesn't give light yet. Um, with the emphasis on yet, because the, the clue is this sphere is filled with a liquid called luminol. And luminol is the stuff that they use in those CSI series to, uh, to see whether there's blood somewhere, right? So they put some stuff on the floor and it's like, ooh, there's blood here because it, it starts lighting up. You see those weird purple or green lights, let's say stains. Uh, and then it's, oh, ooh, wait, there's blood over there. So this liquid, luminol, is in this glass sphere. Now the point is, if you want to light the lamp, then um, you break the glass on top. And by breaking the glass or either afterwards, you have to put a drop of blood or some blood in the luminol. So you can put the sphere down on the table, you break it partially, and probably only the top because otherwise all the luminol is gone. Um, then you put some blood in it from yourself probably because where well, you're gonna get some other blood. And then the lamp starts lighting. 
So then there comes light out of the lamp. Pretty scary, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> well, it's designed by Mike Thompson. He's actually he's, he's English, but he's based in the Netherlands, which is, well, fun fact, he's in the Netherlands. Um, and the goal was to make people more aware of what it costs to use energy such as light, you know? So I think, I think it's a pretty strong thing. You, you can actually use this only once, which is quite weird because that's kind of counter, counter what, what this point is, right? Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's kind of counteractive. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> like, yeah, you, you want to use it for a longer time and then it's like one use and then, then that's it. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool. It's cool though. Yeah. It's really cool. What do you think, Sander? I actually never really got these kind of designs. Like that they get presented as design. Mm -hmm. They should have just presented it as an artwork. Yeah. Because I agree with that. Nobody's gonna see it as design. And the people who do see it as design see it as poor design. So you get kind whoa, of like whoa, whoa. You, okay. you, you get a, <laughs> yeah, but you get a misunderstanding of what design is. Okay. Because now it's 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 more like a, a com campaign kind of Thing, right yeah it's like a, one of those uh, you, you have more of those like awareness creating yeah it's, a, it's an awareness thing yeah but nobody's gonna buy it or place it somewhere it's an it more like an exhibition thing or or as a concept yeah I, I never really got these kind of designs you mean because it's not useful or um, maybe I think that the place for these things are more into art than design mm -hmm. but of course those things are really gray um, mm. because maybe when we're going to talk about my project, a lot of people will think those, that's more mechanical engineering than design. Okay, okay, okay. And I may partly agree with that as well. Mm. So uh, lines are vague, of course, yeah, always. Of course. But um, yeah, like I studied in Eindhoven as well mm -hmm. during my yeah. bachelor. And there they push a lot towards this kind of awareness. Mm. Um, slightly impractical things but yeah. um yeah uh, that's not why i wanted to study industrial design i always yeah. wanted to study industrial design to make practical things that people like to use yeah. and not just make them aware that something is annoying yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was it was really uh, mind opening for me because i went to the dutch design week uh, mm -hmm. last year and i've never been to the dutch design week which i did not like so i said to a friend so let's go let's go to the dutch design week i went over there but i was expecting a lot of industrial design and like a bit more mechanical yeah. and like um affordable and stuff like that but um it was kind of more design and not design engineering yeah it was really focused on design and how something looked like or how it, how it was but not like really practical. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's of that's course always a balance, you yeah. know? That's yeah. that's the whole thing with industrial design. Maybe, maybe it's a little bit like high fashion. Like nobody's nobody's gonna wear those things. They're kind of more as inspiration and yeah. to kind of tease <laughs> or something. Yeah. Ooh, nah, nah, we could do <laughs> Because these. we have a lot of money. Yeah, well, I, I, I think though that um, it's really nice that there's a message behind the design. Yeah. Like compared to high fashion, I personally don't see a lot of message in that but maybe there is but with this lamp there's actually a message so someone is trying to convey something through yeah. a design which I, th I think might be nice like that's a good quality of a design yeah. what have you brought um, okay so I brought actually a paper okay so um, my paper is called task agnostic self-modeling machines from uh, Hot Lipson and Robert Kwiatkowski 
Okay. And okay, the cool thing is it's about robots that learn and learn um, who they self are and not what their tasks are. So instead of like normally a robot knows, like you, you program the robot to, to pick something up, this one just has actuators and one sensor on its gripper. Uh, so it's a gripping robot. Okay. Uh, one sensor on its gripper uh, that just shows where it is in space. And then it just starts to actuate all its sensors, uh, all its uh, all its actuators, mm -hmm. to just see what it is, um, to f to let it learn what it is. Okay. And then it finds out what it is by just actuating and seeing how his um, how the gripper moves through space. So uh, it makes it, it makes a self model of itself. Wow. And by really well understanding what it is and uh, how it moves. It can actually make much better and accurate predictions of like, grabbing things. And the nice thing is that it can use those predictions to um, overcome a task uh, that it never has seen before. So, for instance, um, like if there would be a hole in the ground. Yeah, okay. So, even for us, if we have never seen a hole in the ground, we have walked. We have seen that if you make a big step, you can go over the, the whole mm -hmm. um, in this model um, it kind of does the same so it knows really well itself and runs simulations of uh, how it can overcome the whole and then it executes that so it's for a robot uh, like similar to thinking and um, it looks like it can uh, overcome overcome obstacles at first try and that's really cool. That's, that's really cool. That's pretty cool. But it doesn't learn a lot about, about himself, but also about his surroundings and the world Yeah, so him, right? uh, it goes even further. So um, because it has such a well understanding of itself, it understands, it adapts for its own failure. So for instance, if one motor fails, it still knows what mm -hmm. it's doing and it can oh. still overcome its task. Whoa. So what they actually, yeah, actually did during the, the, the experiments was halfway in an experiment, they changed... Uh, as, uh, yeah, they placed like a, uh, a bent segment in the arm and by moving again it noticed like okay I'm now different Oh, whoa. and it adjusts its own model Damn. Uh, and the nice thing is that you get really robust models uh, because of course in a normal robot there's always some wear and tear mm. and because it's all pre-programmed uh, you need to recalibrate your machine constantly it notices and, this yeah, decay because it's aware of what it is it can recalibrate itself constantly without actually really recalibrating mm -hmm. so basically uh, the task agnostic task agnostic yeah, self-modeling so, so they self Describe it a little bit as uh, a machine that understands itself. Instead of just simply itself. doing a task. Yeah. Oh, damn. So seeing itself separate from tasks. But there's some proper AI behind that, Yeah, I well, guess, what right? makes it, yeah. That's, that's like scary close to human thinking. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the, I think the last sentence of the article, mm -hmm. to, uh, we conjecture that the separation of self and task may have also been the evolutionary origin of self-awareness in humans. Yeah, mind blown. Mm. So they see itself as a kind of like step of 
the self-aware robot. Ah, and that's just beautiful. If you want to know more, um, send us the, the link and we'll put it in the description of any... Put the paper uh, in the description. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a we'll beautiful paper. paper. In description. Yeah. If you have any questions... It's quite uh, short. It's really readable. Oh. Okay. Nice. Well, who would have thought? Yeah. yeah An I article that's readable we, we, about AI. It's, it's really, really readable. Oh, nice. It's more like a short story than a really in-depth <laughs> yeah. uh, paper. Okay. We have also read your paper. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not a paper, is it? It's no, a thesis. Yeah, it's a thesis. It's a thesis. Like one of them big yeah, packs of papers. There is actually still a paper coming, Ooh, but no. it probably takes cool. long, long. Yeah, fair enough. Like more than a year, probably. Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, it has to be like people need to read it and you get it back, peer reviewing. It takes oh, time. You have to yeah. deliver quality and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've made a uh, robotic uh, fish. Yeah. And it swims through water with. Uh, a speed of uh, 0.85 <laughs> meters per second, Crunching yeah. and that <laughs> that has um, like one from the record that was already. Yeah, sent. so it's 27 percent faster yeah. than the fastest soft robotic fish. Okay. Besides that, it only uses a single motor. Yeah, you use biomimicry to mimic the movement, the movements of a yeah. fish, the flapping, <laughs> the flapping, yeah. and apparently that's. Uh, more efficient than a normal propeller motor. So um, there's two things we like to have clear. Soft robotics, which um, in my humble knowledge is um, you have a robot type of structure and you wrap it with a compliant material. So a material that can stretch or move or bend or whatever. Uh, is, that cl is that true or am I a bit It's a little bit broader, I think. Um, but the general consent, yeah, general story is, of course, that it's soft and that it doesn't harm its environment. So it's uh, really often pneumatic uh, or in some other way um, can deform easily. Um, so, yeah. And so the, the general idea is that instead of that, when it's rigid, it will uh, just go against hard things. And mm -hmm. um, so... Normal robotics generally doesn't allow people to work next side to, to, to the robot. Mm -hmm. And in soft robotics, you can pretty much throw those things into an environment where it can be touched, uh, it can interact with other people and things without any danger. Okay. So that's the general idea of, of soft, robotics. soft robotics. Okay, and then uh, the key is again, you have soft robotic fish. Okay, so, uh, so it's pretty much... Yeah, a robotic fish. Maybe weird to hear, but there are like hundreds of robotic fishes. There are like lots of universities who research these things uh, because they are potentially much more uh, efficient than uh, a rotor blade. So that's why it gets a lot of research. What they use now often is uh, multi-link servos. So they uh, put servos behind each other and by controlling all those servos together, they can really make a really precise movement of the tail, but of course, if you have uh, a lot of servos behind each other, you yeah lose a lot of efficiency. So even thought the motion is much more efficient than that of a rotor blade. You lose so much internally and also in complexity, and you can't really go uh, above a really high frequency. So you'll lose a lot. The thing where it works different than every other robotic fish is uh, like a half compliant, half active segment. So we have one part that's uh, pulls left to right and one part that's compliance it's uh, yeah, kind of a, a beam within silicon 
uh, that bends. And by and we have a numerical model that uh, kind of predicts how much it bends. So you know how much it bends uh, based on the frequency and the stiffness of the material. And that way we can control really precisely uh, how uh, the cuddle fin moves from side to side. It's really simple. It's just, it just pulls on wires from side to side, and that makes the tail oscillate from left to right. I'm now curious, how it can, can it move to the right and to the left? So, steer. Yeah, originally yeah. we had a steering yeah. system put in, but yeah, as you may know, a graduation project doesn't take indefinitely. You have to end it somewhere. <laughs> so the, we actually took the, the, the steering system out uh, to just focus on speed. Uh, also to, to show that we can optimize this system. So the, the, the speed thing was more like, okay, we can optimize it for efficiency, but let's optimize it for speed because that's just easy to understand for everyone. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, it goes the fastest, okay. <laughs> it, 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 it'll probably do well then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah we were reading about you, about your, the, the robotic fish on design.com or design.com. And there at some point it says, Van der Berg states, that his fish will be 100% more efficient than rotor-propelled fishes. Like yeah, so potentially uh, the system is, uh, so potentially is important. Um, it can be a lot, like just oscillating can be so much more efficient than rotation in small objects in water. It's a quote far out of context. Yeah. So for instance, if you have a, if a small motor for, um, yeah, underwater drones. There are a lot of underwater yeah. drones that are currently used for in the oil industry, um, but also for future deep sea mining, which is going to be a really Ooh. big industry. Yeah. Uh, what they now use, so they have a normal rotor prop uh, propeller on it. They are generally like 40, maybe 45% uh, efficient. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, the bigger the propeller and how slower it turns, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. the less it rotates the, the water flow and uh, the more efficient it is so for instance for large large uh, ships like tankers and stuff they're actually quite efficient like they're doing okay, okay. but okay. for smaller things they are really really inefficient and um. you can't really improve that with rotor blades oh, so for oh. smaller things like even a small boats um, and underwater drones and small is like still like 10 meters so yeah we're okay, talking okay. oh yeah. then like <laughs> If you go smaller, <laughs> it's, 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 it's starts to get even better. It's yeah. so, ten meters has nothing. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, for them, like they get a lot forty-five percent efficiency, and just the the movement of going up and down, like what a fish does, and just basic oscillating fins, mm -hmm. uh, can get uh, efficiencies of around uh, yeah eighty-six percent around there. Ooh. Yeah, that's like twice. That's literally but twice that's, as high. That's just a comparison of movements. So mm. the 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 whole reason why we're still not applying this like everywhere is because it's so complex to create that motion yeah. in a really efficient way. And our system uses now one, one single DC motor, and okay. which is just, a very common yeah. thing. Yeah, and it takes yeah. out a lot of complex mechanics that are normally yeah. in there, yeah. uh, which gets us a little bit closer to a realization of this. Another positive thing about the oscillating is that when you go really deep, which for instance for these underwater drones, mm -hmm. um, 
is that when you now go really deep, you get a lot of pressure on the rotary shaft. Mm -hmm. So because you have externally rotating thing, which is the rotor blade, mm -hmm. uh, and that shaft goes through that hole. So there is a gap. There's always a little bit of a gap. Yeah. And mm -hmm. when you go deeper, it gets a lot of pressure. Yeah. And you need to counter that pressure. So there's a lot of pressure on that. <laughs> on that small on the gap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so you lose a tremendous amount of efficiency when you go deeper. Uh -huh. And when you oscillate, you can actually really completely encapsulate it and count in all the pressure inside with, with oils. Mm -hmm. And so you lose a lot less uh, efficiency when you go deeper. And then you actually go far past that 100% more efficiency yeah. uh, if you go really deep. Well, actually, we were wondering what, what might be... because. Um, what is very interesting is this efficiency, right? I might, yeah. It might be hard to define mm -hmm. because, of course, we want to go to greener, whatever. That's sus yeah. all sustainable. Blah, blah, blah. Has to yeah. be green. Has to be sustainable. But then efficiency is a very important thing. So, what do you think would be other applications for this fish behavior? Because mm -hmm. it it seems really weird to me to have like a boat on the water that goes flap, 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 left, right, left, right with his tail yeah. or something. So, if you would do it for a boat, you probably need like two or four of them so you don't so the boat doesn't go left right left right yeah. if you have oh, two yeah. you get pulsating yeah. so the boat will go faster slower faster slower Ooh, and if you have four um you can get a constant oh, speed wow. oh, yeah, okay. yeah because we also saw an octopus that has like four tentacles i don't know if these things are called yeah but i think, think i know the project yeah, yeah and that uses four of those things yeah, yeah and the cool, cool thing was that one can use two of its uh, tentacles to grab something and then keep on swimming with its own oh wow really? yeah. whoa that's really cool wow it's only but then it starts going slower and faster again yeah, yeah, so yeah. it only uses two like tentacles yeah. does. ah okay yeah. okay oh, yeah, just like a real octopus actually yeah, yeah. Cool. they use yeah well a real octopus actually uses jetting so it doesn't actually use yeah it doesn't <laughs> use its tentacles to swim it pumps in water oh, wow, and yeah. just spits it out <laughs> at the end. To <laughs> okay. <push it laughs> okay, so it, it basically vomits water and then it goes forward. Uh, yeah, you can see it like that. <laughs> That's maybe a bit blunt way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Water, <laughs> a boat can do can go that go too, I think. Used by me, maybe. Why don't we have boats like that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, jet propulsion, kind of. Yeah. But do you really think that, uh, for example, a boat with four fish tails behind it Mm -hmm. uh, flapping left and right, do you think that will work? Do you think that's uh, a possible yeah. future for us? It's gonna be in specific cases. Okay. Because uh, for now and probably for the near future, it's gonna be more complex and therefore more expensive. So it's um, that that more efficiency needs to outweigh its extra cost and extra complexity, and that's gonna be in certain scenarios. For instance, now with those uh, deep sea mining projects and those kind yeah. of things, mm -hmm. I can see um, that there are a lot of money. They would support. win a lot if they could do missions where uh, the underwater drone can stay underwater for much longer, which uh, yeah would be really be beneficial. So then a little bit more efficiency, like even if it's just one percent, is is uh, worth it to spend a lot of money. In. Yeah. One percent might be ten yeah, minutes. Well, yeah. for your boat or whatever, a more complex system and it's going to be slightly more efficient doesn't probably win you anything. Yeah, of course. Of course, you also need four, as you just mentioned. Yeah. Which so is eh. We, we, yeah. It's, 
like it doesn't have to be uh, in this precise manner. For instance, yeah. there's now a, a kayak. Mm-hmm. So like um, a, canoe. Li- a little bit, mm-hmm. yeah, like a, a canoe uh, with which you uh, cycle on. And that one has those kind of fins that go uh, left and right underneath. Oh, wow. Okay, but you mean just one fin going uh, left and like right? Two, two. Uh, in, in, in separate directions. Okay, so there's two yeah. vertical fins above each other, and they go in counterface, they go left yeah, and right. Yeah, All right. yeah. Just so to make it clear to me. Yeah. You know? um, and that actually makes you go a lot faster, and it's actually a simpler system um, than, yeah, than uh, like a water bike call it water bike. yeah water yeah. bike yeah. with the and propellers tran- and transmission yeah. it yeah. to a rotor blade so mm-hmm. it's actually simpler in that case yeah. and it's really efficient so it's kind of efficient also but as well it's Just like kind of but kind of an adaptation on on the on the yeah on, on yeah. how it, how fish would swim it's a slightly different of course it's also interesting uh, now that you mentioned this just regular flapping of, mm-hmm. the, of the kayak um you with the the, the fish you with the fish, you mm-hmm. <laughs> and your, your fish, you have chosen a specific type of swimming, right? Um, instead of just one rigid thing going left, right, left, right, just in a one mm-hmm. axis type of thing, you have chosen a tuniform swimming. Now, tuni yeah. comes from tuna, which is like the big yeah. sea fish, it's right? A, yeah, it's all group. Yeah, and you chose that fish, I believe, because it's one of the big fish in the ocean. And then the the type of swimming, the fa- fastest fish. Right? Yeah, one of the yeah. fastest ones. Yeah. So basically, that fish optimizes its movement for speed. Is that correct? In parts. Ooh. But not yeah. completely. Okay. Now now it's gonna start the the biology lesson. Oh, yeah. um, well, that's that's nice. We're, we want to talk yeah, about biomimicry. Now now, so now we're go. gonna learn about how fish swim. Okay. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> like <laughs> some fish, like pike, for instance. Um, just it's a simple reaction force model like they just push water away and push themselves forward Um, and that's why they have like a big tail and that just like moves a lot of mass of the water and moves itself forward so they can accelerate really fast Mm -hmm. Uh, what tuna do is they actually have really thin tails that's really high Mm -hmm. and it's also from normal airplanes that's a lot more efficient Mm -hmm. Um, and what tuna do and actually most like yeah most ocean going swimmers because they don't need a lot of um, fast acceleration they don't need a lot of obstacle avoidance um, is that they, 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 they actually swim really efficient and they swim by um, using the turbulent flow around their body. So if you would have like a ball in water, we're going to see it now as a ball. Okay. A ball in water. The fish is now a ball. Yeah, you, you, get, yeah. you get turbulent flow uh, left and right. So it, it turns uh, inwards on both sides around mm-hmm. the body. Yeah. If it's moving, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. or the water is flowing. Or the water is flowing. Yeah. One, yeah. yeah. Um, and what tuna do and most fish is uh, they use that turbulence mm-hmm. um, to move their tail to left to right mm-hmm. and they change um, the direction of that turbulent flow. Um, so both vertices on both sides move inwards. So they get kind of a jet 
behind the fish. Wow. Whoa. That's pretty good. I saw the picture. That explains it really well on, in, on your thesis. In the thesis. Yeah, yeah, we will, we will do this. Yeah. Yeah. Add and, it in and show notes. Because you get that uh, kind of vertices on both sides, mm-hmm. um, that's actually what keeps schooling fish together. Oh. And that's why schooling fish stay in the school. So in, on, on the wow. side of the schooling fish, mm-hmm. there are turbulent flow uh, pushing, like vortices, pushing yeah. the fishes back into the school. Oh. So if a fish would, would come slightly uh, outside, there's a vortices, a for, for there are vortices that push it back in. Mm-hmm. And the vortices inside the schooling fish are actually so strong um, that uh, a dead fish can get caught in a schooling group and just keep going on for hundreds of oh, Wow, no way. Disgusting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. I so can't <laughs> believe you've done this. <laughs> wow. And that's also why schooling fish are like ridiculously efficient. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. That I, I never knew so that. So when I started this project, like I was on the first days, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I need to make my fish swim in a school of fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It would be super would be so cool. <laughs> big brain. Yeah, big brain. Well, for practical reasons, you could actually make a, a group of robotic fishes swim like ridiculously efficient. Yeah, so if uh, you make a group of underwater drones, yeah, that would go yeah. more efficient as well. Yeah. Ah, wow. Nice. Or you could, could research uh, schooling fish by putting in something really compliant and just slightly adding a little bit of energy and keep it going with a group of fish. If you yeah. can keep it inside the school... You can study the yeah. fish. Yeah, wow. That's you can pretty cool. let it keep going with the school. Wow. Okay. I'm just amazed. Yeah, I'm amazed too. <laughs> I didn't know that at all. That's a fun fact. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Cool. I do have a bit more personal question. Uh, because I'm interested in your aspiration for this project, because a lot of uh, a lot of designers like fall in love with the problem and not especially with with the solution. Uh, that's a good thing because, for example, when you want to make a, a renewable energy source, then uh, you could, for example, uh, be obsessed with uh, wind turbines that create a lot of energy. But maybe wind turbines aren't are not the perfect solution for this problem yeah. because for making new renewable energies. What about and solar cells? What, what right? about solar cells? For yeah. ex- it's just an example. Yeah. But uh, did you fall in love with the problem? Yeah. Or uh, with the solution? Or with the solution? Yeah. The answer is, is definitely yes. But uh, in this case, it was a research project, so we didn't really start from from. A from a problem, we started from a technological advances, advancements mm-hmm. and then kind of looked at the possible applications. So it's a really mechanical uh, engineering kind of way of looking at problems. And so, so there wasn't like a user need. We found user needs afterwards. Oh, yeah. Um, so in that way, it's completely, the whole project was completely tech focused and not uh, user focused yeah. at all um, so we did did do those talks with for instance uh, Dutch marine defense and mm-hmm. those kind of uh, stakeholders to to understand their needs and uh, in what cases they would apply such a system and um, for instance that it's really undetectable mm-hmm. um, but that wasn't the core from which we designed oh. yeah just um, let's say 
going into the, the, the note that you just made that it has to be undetectable, mm -hmm. um, you actually have, I think, a quite stereotypical question about that. And for example, there's an MIT version of a robotic fish as well, which states, oh, we made it so good that it can just swim beside normal fish and um, they won't even notice. Um, when you look at your fish, you made it bright orange. Yeah. Why did you make it bright orange if it has to be so undetectable and in the background? Okay. There are a few reasons for this. Okay. <laughs> I'm very curious about those. So for start with reason one. Yes. Uh, we did a lot of uh, tests in the water tank mm -hmm. uh, for speed measurements. Uh, and you want it to be very clearly possible, uh, like seeable in the in the frames. Yeah. To uh, yeah, so black or white would be all all kind of an issue mm -hmm. uh, because you also see reflections which are white and shadows which are black. So the bright orange just helps, uh, yeah, detecting the object in the frame. Uh, that's reason one. Reason two. <laughs> um, everyone knows here that the bright orange orange filament is mine, <laughs> um, and that's really easy. So if there's an orange part that has, has been printed, I can find it in the morning on my desk. Finding Nemo. It's, it's, Literally, it's perfect. Um, yeah, so that's a real advantage. Uh, well, thank you for that clarification. <laughs> I think it's, it's way past time to wrap yeah, up. Yeah, it's way past time. But um, it was way too interesting. That was, that was the problem. Don't want to be cheesy, though. But I think we could just go on for another hour. But um, thank you, Sander, very much for being here. Thank you for all the interesting stuff. Uh, thank you, let's say, at home, uh, listening or in the train, listening. Thank you for listening in any case. Uh, please give us some feedback if you want. Um, let us know what you think. Um, also, uh, if you want to know more about Sander and his work, we put some links in the description of the YouTube video and in the episode description on any other media. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sander. No problem.